show on UDTFF. Here's Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football with your host, Jake Trowbridge and Dustin Lunt. Welcome back to DTFF, everyone. Happy Tuesday evening from smoky Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, bad weather here, but that will not stop us from having the show. We are quasi-professionals here. We would not let something like that happen. Uh, we've got a great show this evening. As you can see, we've got a, another guest joining us here. Uh, helping us with our final division of our breakdown series here, talking mm-hmm. AFC West this evening. Uh, Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you guys. I mean, I would love to say the save the best for last, but uh, I think we all know that that's a, a little out there. So we'll say save the maybe not the worst for last. How's that sound? I don't know about that, Nate, because if my eyes don't deceive me, I believe that the team that you are on here representing just so happened to be the best team in the NFL last year. Am I am I crazy? Mm-hmm. I believe this? from the last thing I remember of that fateful day, uh, we did win. Audio yeah. listeners, we are, of course, talking about the Denver Broncos, who <laughs> Nate is on here representing. <laughs> no, but we will Let's talk ride. about the Broncos as well. Of course, Nate's representing the Chiefs. And yes. we're going to have a lot to talk about for the Chiefs, mm-hmm. I suspect. I suspect as well. So, Nate, before we get going here, um, how did you become a fan of of the Chiefs? So proximity is probably the uh, first start. I would love to say I had some origin story that takes me back to a different area, and I ran into a player, and they let me play catch with them, and it was great. But, nope, it really wasn't. There was only one. Actually, you know, I take that back. There was a little piece when I was like 13 or 14 years old. My grandpa got to play a lot of golf with, Marcus Allen and him and Marcus Allen were in multiple different tournaments. And I have more Marcus Allen autographs than probably anybody else to the point where I knew his autograph so well by the time I was 15, I could almost like the expert, like, no, no, his M has a little more of a tilde there. (laughs) This is a forgery, which everybody trusts 14 year olds when it comes to uh, autograph. What is that? Of course. Guaranteeing. But yeah, so it, and St. Louis where I'm at, we, we had a football team when I was real little, the Cardinals. They moved. So eh. then I became a football fan in general of every team because you didn't have one. And then the Rams came in and they were fun for a couple of years. And then they left. But the whole time I was like, you know, I had an AFC and an NFC team, but I always leaned AFC. Now I lean entirely because the Rams are dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> strong words strong yeah. words they left you you are not ready for forgiveness maybe yeah. down the road maybe nope. that's future nate no just nope. okay i didn't yeah. even leave like a shirt at their house to say hey i, I did i ever get my scott fishbowl shirt at your house nothing gone dead phone number is gone from my phone you know i like no. to think i would be the same if if my beloved packers ever left the state that i would be like nope fucking cut them out <laughs> Just yeah, done. That's Maybe we can have Matt Stafford show up outside of your window with a boombox. Uh, we'll <laughs> pretend it's raining. We'll see if he can get you back on board there someday. But hey, I like your chief story. I mean, that's mm-hmm. actually you were writing it off like this was some, you know, hubbity bubbity any man story. That's a pretty, pretty cool ass story. I don't have that type of thing. I became a fan of the Packers because we moved to Wisconsin and I wanted to fit in. That's it. That's the end of the story, man. Uh, so I think yours is pretty damn rad. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, um, let's go through. Uh, Nate, what are you drinking this so evening? So I, I have a uh, Michelob Golden Light, the limited edition, by the way. So if anybody listening wants to purchase said can when I'm done drinking it, you can reach uh, me on eBay at, at Jake Trowbridge, um, eBay. <laughs> um, 25% of all sales will go to the Drinking and Talking Fantasy podcast to help promotion. You're welcome, everybody. Yes. We'll, we'll work on negotiations there later. But yeah, it's the Lake Can. It's an Anheuser-Busch product since I'm here in St. Louis, and well, it's pretty nice. nice. You've got the Bush Can. You've got the Bush Scott Fishbowl shirt mm-hmm. on. You are representing fantastically. An, an alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. 
Dustin, I'm very curious about what you're drinking because I've seen little blips of it here. And yeah. I, this is a first, I think, for the show. Why don't you tell the folks what you're drinking on this show? I've gone basic this evening. I'm just drinking Truly's. Uh, this is the Citrus Punch. Ran, we running did it. low on beer. Running low we on beer. We did it, everybody. It was, it was we took him down a peg. It's <laughs> happened. Dustin is one of us now. Uh, the snobbiness is, is gone for the Trulies. What flavor of Truly are you talking right now? It's Punch. Punch? Citrus. Citrus. Oh. Citrus. Punch. Okay. To my credit, is citrus not a fruit? I think citrus is a fruit. So I think technically... Your guy here still won that one. If they wanted it called Fruit Punch, I think they would call it Fruit Punch. Look, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to Truly to sort this whole thing out for us. But for right now, I'm not drinking a Truly. I kind of wish I was. Uh, Both of you have such fun can art. I don't. I have a, this is just a steel, a steel can right here. An untampered, uh, no namer, a no logo from the wife's workplace at Delta Beer Lab. Uh, I have a nice little amber, and it's very refreshing. Nice. Nice, nice. I like that. that. Me too. Okay. Jake, do you want to hit us with our drunk trade now before we get into the meat of this episode? Yes, please. Drunk, 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 hammer, drunk. (laughs) Well, not sure why that cut off short, but... Go ahead, Jake. God, let's just do it for the love of God. I don't, I don't know. Let's just, let's move past whatever the hell that was. Let's get into our drunk trade of the week. Here, I'll do it. Drunk trade of the week. Um, this one comes to us from Reddit. Where else these days? From Reddit user W. Marchino. I did a three team trade while at the bar and it worked out great. IMO. That stands for, in my opinion, for all you non-sophisticants Thank you. of shortened language gotcha. these days. You're welcome. They sent away Cam Akers, Trevor Lawrence, J-Mo Williams, Greg Dulcich, and a 2025 third. They got back CMC, Tua Tagovailoa, Daniel Bellinger, a 2024 second, and a 2025 second. A lot of pieces here. They say this is a one QB league. I already have Burrow. To be fair, my two trade partners were sitting at the bar with me, and we were all drunk, obviously. Thank you for sticking to the letter of the segment. So, gentlemen, there's a, there's actually a lot going on here. I don't want to presume that one side actually comes out ahead in this. I mean, I have my favorite here. I think a lot of people do, but I just want to test the consensus here. What side are you rocking with here? Who do you think the drunk one really was, Nate? What do you prefer? Hmm. I personally, I'm always a fan of going with the best player in in the trade involved whatsoever. And that tip for me, of course, that would be CMC. That being said, it's I feel like the diversive one, especially reading a little bit today, is uh, is Jameson Williams of where people stand on on Jameson because what we haven't seen is the upside of that elite you know, wide receiver one that I think some people were expecting. I personally, like I said, I like the CMC side. I, I can understand if you're taking the other angle, but Dustin? Yeah, I prefer the CMC side as well. Um, love CMC, especially if you are competing or if you're going to be competing for that championship this year, you really feel like you have a solid team. Yeah, CMC is the piece to have for probably this year and next year. Uh, to a good um, backup to Burrow. Uh, uh, there's probably going to be weeks where you might want to start him over Burrow, depending on the matchup, um, depending on how he plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bellinger, I liked. I really was all gung ho on him until Waller came into the, the Giants this offseason. But um, nice, nice piece to have in Dynasty. Uh, stash on your bench for a while, and then you're getting two seconds out of the deal as well. So yeah, um, yeah I, I like that that cmc side uh by quite a bit actually me too and that's always you know that always worries me when it's like which side do you like because you never want to be the the lone wolf on the other Mm -hmm. side and have to make a an argument especially for a trade that involves so many pieces where like i like 
Dulcich over Bellinger. I mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I like CMC over Acres. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I am glad that we're in agreement, so we don't have to fight yeah. this out. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see since it was a three-way trade to oh, know yeah. like what the actual like who received what pieces, uh, or or which how it all broke down as saying it was a three-way. Um, just knowing that he got all that back and what he had to give up and what kind of that third party piece was to give up what pieces were given up there as well. That's uh, true. But uh, regardless, I do like how he finished off that trade there. That was nice. Agreed. Agreed. I agree with him that it did work out. Which when you're drunk, you never know. I mean, everything yeah. looks, everything has, you know, even beer trade goggles are on at that time and mm-hmm. can very sound very, especially when you are getting the best player. Usually that's when you get Duke because they're like, yeah, you're CMC and garbage and you're giving up yep. everything and you get wild. But get it to win now and get two better draft picks in the future mm-hmm. seems like a, a kind of a double dip. Yeah, absolutely. Hooray for us. Yeah. In agreement. All right, looks like Jake is having some internet issues here, but we will forage on. Um, let's get right into the main event here. Um, for those of you out there that haven't been following along with us, uh, I'll go through our each team, uh, notable losses, additions via free agency or trades, and then what they did fantasy relevant in the draft. And then we will wax poetically about each team here. Uh, yeah, so... We're going to start with the Broncos just because they are first on the show sheet, but we're last in the division last year at five and 12. They lost in this offseason Mike Boone, Latavius Murray, Chase Edwards, Melvin Gordon, and Marlon Mack. Whole lot of running backs there. Uh, they brought on board Samaje Pirine, Tony Jones, Marquez Calloway, Jared Stidham, and Chris Manhurts. And in the draft, in the second, Marvin Mims Jr. Um, so, Nate, why don't you start us off here? What are you feeling about these Broncos? Uh, just as kind of a overview, do you like some of the moves they made here this offseason? What are you expecting, you know, for the upcoming season here? Yeah, the, the biggest needle mover is probably an addition that wasn't mentioned, which was Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi. You know, they, I think mm-hmm. the offensive firepower, getting rid of Nathaniel Hackett, maybe that's addition by subtraction. Could possibly be good. It's hard to believe that they're going to be worse than five and 12. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, last year at this time, everybody, at least I was, and maybe you were doing the same. Everyone was talking about the AFC West and how who's going to, who's going to win. Yeah. Denver should have been so much better. Kansas City, of course, might be worse because they lost Tyreek. Vegas should be better. LA, you know, or San Diego, whatever you want to call them, still <laughs> combo, but we'll say the uh, Chargers should be better. But I would like to believe as a whole, they are going to improve. I mean, that's probably the most safe bet you can make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of a shit show last year with, uh, oh, who was it? Nathaniel Hackett was their yeah. first time in, former Packer coach. Uh, it's too bad to see him struggle, but, I mean, we saw those last couple weeks of the season once he was out of there that the team started to perform more of like what we ex- would have expected. Mm-hmm. Now, was that just a function of hey it's the end of the season we're kind of auditioning for a new coach who's coming in or was it truly just that broken of an offense and pretty much anything they threw in was going to be better we don't know but uh speaking of sean payton coming in and russ wilson you know the Mm -hmm. connection there uh, with uh, breeze and payton and how well they work together do you think payton's going to bring some magic back to russ and He's going to be a little bit more fantasy relevant than he's been the last couple of years. I would. I mean, I think so. I, I don't want to go in and shoot the moon for Russ because the question then is, is it going to be a product of Russell Wilson that first year where he lost, you know, he lost his mental health coach. And I know that losing a friend personal outside the, the hash mark situation can affect you. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. New team, new situation. But maybe it's just that he's regressing because he's in his 30s and the age is starting to catch up and the wear and tear. But I will say that regardless of who it is, I think Sean Payton is probably going to be the best thing for him just from an offensive play calling standpoint, that mixture of him and Joel Lombardi. 
But one of the things is he, uh, I mean, career low touchdown rate, I think it was 3.3% last year. If he just regresses back to the mean, just to his normal, mm-hmm. he would have added 12 touchdowns to last year's total. Whew. Just totally different average, story. Right? I mean, absolutely. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. We still might. We'd have some conversation, <laughs> but it might not be, you know, uh, the Mr. Uh, Unlimited and everything else would have wouldn't have been quite the joke that it is. Right. Comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess realistically, uh, you know, since we're mostly a, a redraft focused show here, um, is he if, if you're punting quarterback and going for more of a late round QB, is he someone you'd be interested in as taking like as your first quarterback kind of as one of those QBs outside the top 12, maybe? You know, I I think that it's worth the investment. I like taking him as my second if I'm going to go up like if I'm going to take a. Oh, I don't want to go total risk. Like it's not the Anthony Richardson taking him and then Kirk Cousins where you mm-hmm. get the safety and then the upside. Russ is in that weird spot where you if you take him as your one and he has 12 more touchdowns and just goes back to his norm. He's got the weapons, right? But mm-hmm. I still think I'm a, I don't know if I'm still trusting him to be my one. I would rather probably pivot to the aforementioned like Cousins or one of those other names is going similar in that range. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I I just don't know that he has the upside right. to really crack into the top 12 anymore. And like I said, they have great weapons there. I just, I don't know. I guess I've lost faith in Russ and his talent, uh, as we like to joke here on this podcast. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't know that I trust it uh, at this point of his career to really have a rebound, you know, where he becomes super fantasy relevant. Yeah, I, you uh, earlier. Uh, Jake said, have Matthew Stafford stand out front of my uh, house. I trust Matthew Stafford rebound twice as much as I trust uh, Mm -hmm. Russ. Would you rather have uh, Goff or Russell Wilson? Oh, Give me Goff. Same here. Jake, since you're back. They allowed me back on just in time to hype up Russell Danger Wilson. Uh, I would rather take the floor of Jared Goff. So I can appreciate and understand what you have there. Russell Wilson, I think, has a higher ceiling with Sean Payton. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's unfair. Yeah. All right. Then let's move into this backfield here. I mean, they lost a bunch of nobodies in that backfield. Um, no, no offense to any of those running backs because they could kill me pretty easily, I'm sure. Um, but you know, Javante went out with that ACL. Not sure if he's going to be back to start the season. We don't know how healthy he really is. They brought in Samaje Ryan, which in limited action last year uh, looked really good uh, in place of Mixon. Um, so I guess what are your thoughts for Javante in this backfield? Do you expect him to start week one? And if so, what kind of production do you expect? I don't expect him to uh, be back week one. I'm far from a medical professional, but... You stopped it just saying ACL when in, you know, hell, he had two other ligaments that were uh, torn as well. And, and that that tri-ligament injury, it, the recovery is so much harder than a single. Not that I'm discrediting just those, you know, those little sissy ACL only injuries. <laughs> you guys got it made. But what's crazy is on May 13th, Sean Payton's like, uh, you know, start a season. And then he joins practice on the 25th of May. So every the timeline keeps getting moved up. I wouldn't. I would bet. I would bet twelve uh, golden light cans at the retail value of this limited edition. By the way, that he does not start week one, but I don't know if they'll put him on the pup. That's where I think that's the thing to pay attention to, right? We have to because mm-hmm. that's an immediate guarantee. We know he's out, and Samaj P. Ryan is, you know, to the moon or whatever everybody's saying nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, I don't expect him to to be starting week one either, um, and even if he was. I'm going to be honest, where I've seen him going in mock drafts lately, I am staying away from him at that ADP. I just, I just, I just can't get on board. I just, I don't trust it whatsoever. Um, you know, and as we were saying with kind of these wide receivers and the other weapons on this offense, it's not like they have to rely on the run game. Um, you know, they've got a good offensive line and they've got, you know, good receiving options. So, um, yeah, that's even more reason that I'm kind of, more hesitant and probably wouldn't be drafting him at his current ADP. 
in so best Jake, ball, I can get on board with it a little bit more. In best mm-hmm. ball with Javante Williams, the hope is volume enough. By the time the end of the season starts to roll, roll around, he becomes valuable enough where he, you know, kind of has a Cam Akers run, like maybe at the end of last season, something like that. But in redraft, I'm with you. I'm, I'm staying away. I like P. Ryan. Sean Payton likes P. Ryan. He mm-hmm. said so. And that was kind of his way to get him in the building was like, look at how I use these other running backs. <laughs> and uh, maybe it's just a selling point to get some depth on the team. But Dustin, you mentioned it. They let go of a ton of guys. I know they're just guys, but every running back from last year is gone. So I do think P. Ryan's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wh- where he's going too. I mean, realistically, he's sandwiched currently uh, around the likes of Damian Harris, Elijah Mitchell, Zach Charbonnet, um, and those names, I'm, I love the idea of taking Pirine late enough to offset. Like if you happen to draft someone like Brees Hall mm-hmm. or a person who's start Tony Pollard, who's starting the season off a little banged up, you need that first four or five weeks of reprieve as your, as your two in that case. And then if Javante comes back, you don't have to worry about a workload that's most likely unattainable for, uh, Samaji. Cause I mean, the most he, Attempts he's had in the seasons 95, I guess, dating back five, six years or however long it's been. So not a workload back, I don't think, but mm-hmm. doable. Yeah, and I think P. Ryan will still have usable weeks once Javante comes back. You know, they're going to want to ease him in, and uh, he'll be a part of the pass game too. So, uh, yeah, I think he's a good later round target as well. And then let's uh, finish up our Broncos conversation here, uh, talking about the tight end Greg Dulcich. Uh, is he a good late round target? If you're punting the tight end position, uh, is he someone that you like that you think has a decent floor week to week? Yeah. I mean, hell, he averaged 40, 40 plus yards per game last year. His biggest, you know, the biggest thing he brings is the fact that he's that explosive tight end, the, the more uh, big play, more so than just the catch and prod for four yards. You know, the, Remember two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, probably up to the past 10, 12 years ago, every tight end outside the top two or three, you knew it was going to be four receptions, 44 yards, move Mm -hmm. on. You hope that he catches the touchdown. I think that Dulcich can provide more. I mean, he had last year in limited time, realistically, he had the seventh most 30 plus yard gain. So big playability there. Combine that with Peyton. I think you have a little bit higher ceiling. He'll go missing at times. Don't, don't, I don't doubt that, but I don't doubt that with any mm-hmm. tight end. So, yeah, I, I found he is kind of that ideal. You punt tight end, you grab him. He's he's comfortable enough that you know that in the AFC West, they should be trailing. So there's mm-hmm. going to be plenty of run or pass heavy where he won't be trying to keep blocking. And I'm not worried about Adam Troutman. Not worried about no. <laughs> um, Albert O or any of those other names. So I think he's probably the guy. You know, double-digit scoring in in half of his games. So, uh, yeah, color me interested. Nice, I like that. Uh, any final thoughts about the Broncos before we move on? Broncos suck. Go Chiefs. All right. You know, we're gonna jump over the Chiefs. I know they're next on the show sheet here, That's uh, but we're gonna save them for last, best okay. for last, since they are the reigning champions of the league. So, uh, we will jump next then to the Raiders, who finished third in the division at six and eleven. They lost Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Foster Moreau, Matt Collins, and Jarrett Stidham. They brought on board Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Myers, Brian Hoyer, Austin Hooper, and O.J. Howard. And via the draft in the second, they took Michael Mayer at tight end. In the third, Trey Tucker, wide receiver. And in fourth, Adian O'Connell at quarterback. Um, so I... I, I don't know what to think about this Raiders team. Um, you know, Jimmy G versus Derek Carr. It's kind of like, okay, that's a wash in my book. Um, if that, I mean, I'm, I'm probably a little bit higher on Derek Carr than most people, but you know, it's not, it's not an upgrade. I don't feel like, uh, at the quarterback position. You got Devontae Adams there, who's still a stud, will be for the next couple years. Uh, he's guaranteed fantasy gold, um, wherever you're able to get him, um, take him. Tight end position will be interesting. I, I don't know. It's, you know, you got Jacobs, who's going to be a, a workhorse. Um, let's start there. I think yeah. he, where he's going, he is an extreme value right now. Um, 
because he's on that franchise tag, and I think they are going to just run him and work him into the ground and then let him go after the season. Um, and I think it's criminal. I think he's um, going as running back 10 right now. Um, and I, I will take that all day long. How do you feel about that? I think the value is is for sure. There. I think the biggest concern people have is when they're looking at that spot and they're making that decision between uh, Jacobs and, say, oh, what, probably Tony Pollard, Ramondre's in that same range. That 340 carry uh, workload he had last year is a little concerning for, for everybody, rightfully so. Anybody, mm-hmm. any running back that ever had that much work the second year, the next year, they have underperformed. But I would also say that any of those people that have done so probably aren't drafted as the RB10 the following year. They're probably the RB2 or 3, and there's disappointment in that. You're drafting him to be, uh, if he finishes, I don't know, five spots lower than where he's being drafted, you're still getting uh, a decent enough value. I I think he's going to be exactly like you said. Worked it, just running to the ground. Uh, Jimmy G's not going to spread the ball too deep, so they're going to be short to intermediate. I think he mm-hmm. can see that workload in the receiving game as well. Um, I don't find myself getting a ton of them, though, as of yet in any leagues. But maybe after tonight, maybe I'll change that. Maybe you have persuaded me to go the Josh Jacobs route. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. In that range he's falling, um, right around Ramondre. I mean, typically I've been taking Ramondre in my mock drafts before Jacobs. Um, but that's just because Ramondre's been there. Had, had he not been there, I would have taken Jacobs and I would have felt just fine about it. Um, I just lean a little bit heavier towards Ramondre this season. But yeah, I, yeah, he's... I think he's going to be one of the safest uh, running backs you could have, obviously barring injury this year, because um, I think that volume is going to be there, and there's not a whole lot of competition behind him. Oh, there's, is there any competition behind him, realistically? I mean, what is it? Zamir White is probably the... Yeah, there's some truthers out there. I'm sure there are. Yep. <laughs> yeah, those truthers are just waiting for that 340 yep. uh, rush attempt plateau to break him and him be out, and then yep. trust in that. I yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't myself, but um, hey, you know what? You got to take somebody at the around the RB sixty range. Might as mm-hmm. well be Zamir White, right? Yeah. Why not? Why, Why not? not? Why not? <laughs> um. So, I I know I kind of brought this up in my intro to the Raiders, and uh, mm-hmm. I really didn't think that um, Jimmy G is an upgrade over Derek Carr. Do you think he is, or is he just? Same guy, essentially. I mean, I think it's, I think it's good. So people that might not, you know, there's, we have kind of a, a working sheet, just so, you know, so Nate doesn't come in blind. And I love the way his <laughs> phrase is, if Jimmy G plays, is he an upgrade? And the fact that the first uh, four words are, if Jimmy G plays. because well, we know, he's got that injury. I, I don't so disagree, it's... man. I am right there with you. And that, to me, already, he's already behind Carr. I mean, to you know, I, I don't think the big play uh, threat out of Mm -hmm. Jimmy G is quite there. I know 2019. Oh, look at how he had a good season. I get it. But yeah, it it is also probably a lateral move too. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. it's a regressive move, but yeah, we, uh, if Jimmy G plays, I'm bypassing probably both of those two quarterbacks. Scott Fishbowl last year, you know, Derek Carr was big, uh, because of the efficiency, and everybody mm-hmm. thought, "Oh, here's a seventy percent completion," and he, you know, shat the bed there. I don't see the efficiency, despite the you know Josh McDaniels, and mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah, I'm I'm probably out on Jimmy G. Yeah, I mean, like I said, out, outside of Adams and Jacobs, I'm probably staying away from most of the other pieces here. Uh, the only other one I might take a late flyer on um, is with the tight end position. And a lot of tight end talk on this podcast so far, which is odd for us. But um, but with Michael Mayer, um, you know, and I don't know how how much um, rookie analysis you do. Are you big on? Um, I will say that I don't do nearly enough. I fake it till I make it. I know enough about the situation. And, you know, I know he can be supportive. And there's not a ton. I mean, with with both uh, Waller and Foster Moreau out. 
the pathway to snaps are there. And I think the short oh. to intermediate thing mm-hmm. is a good opportunity. Yeah. Austin Hooper does not worry me. No, no, me either. You no. know, like, um, so I guess would coming into the rookie draft this year, I know Kincaid mm-hmm. typically going in that like 108 to 110 range in your rookie drafts. Um, I personally was out on him at that price. I would have waited and taken like Mayer or Laporta in the second. Same. Is that something you would have done as well? And, and do you like, do you think Mayer could be the best tight end out of this class? Cause I know there's been a lot of talk about how great this tight end class is or could be. I think that by as this year or going forward, I think we might have the same answer. I think it could be yes to both because there was not too long ago that Mayer was the number one prospect at tight end, and it was you know, slam dunk, and that was the beginning of the season. Really, mm-hmm. Mayer did nothing to ruin that, but Kincaid landing spot, athletic prowess, mm-hmm. ability to play in the slot, everything kind of pushed him up a little bit. He lands in Buffalo, and I get it. The landing spot by many is like, that's perfect. But I wasn't as sold on that personally myself. I think the mm-hmm. hype of him being in the slot, all the room, no, the talk, and he may actually start mm-hmm. there. There's no doubt in my mind that he could. They, the weapons aren't exactly overflowing in Buffalo. They have enough. But I was all aboard uh, waiting, taking Mayer in Vegas. Uh, I have no problem with Sam Laporte either, especially early until Jameson Williams returns. But I like what Mayer brings, and I think that mm-hmm. that fits that offense better than uh, on a surefire like floor. You know, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that each week we're going to get that. That does lead me to one other person on the team that would, I think that that kind of goes along with the same line of thinking with Jacoby Myers. I think he could see an increased workload this year just based on the fact that Jimmy G's normal patterns are underneath and short to intermediate. Mm-hmm. Not a game breaker because it's still going to be Devontae Adams. Right. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, and just one other point with Mayer, um, getting back to him for just a second, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the one thing that gives me hope with him as well is that Jimmy G did um, focus uh, or funnel a lot of targets to Kittle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know Kittle's a beast and, you know, he's probably a whole different level of, of elite uh, tight end. But the fact that he did support Kittle so well um, gives me hope that maybe he'll, you know, look for the tight end here in this offense as well. Yeah, and it's not like Josh McDaniels was uh, opposed to go into the tight end route. I think that all those years in New England, they had mm-hmm. not, you know, I mean, obviously they had Gronk, but they were comfortable with going Aaron Hernandez and Gronk and the incorporation of that mindset into Josh McDaniels could very easily go in this year. Like you said, that 2019 season with Kittle, Kittle had a thousand yards and a uh, hundred plus targets. And what do you have? 10 touchdowns that year, five touchdowns. My, my apologies, half as well. But yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. And Jake jumping in, uh, apparently his internet is. Not doing so well, but he has some foolproof tight end advice. Um, if only Jake, get your ass back on the show here and uh, you can share all that wisdom <laughs> with us. Um, so any anyone else you want to talk about here on the Raiders or any other thoughts? I mean, I, I, I do think that they're going to finish last in this division this mm-hmm. year. I just I just don't see a lot of upside with them. I, I just don't. No, and I don't. And I mean, I know we're not talking the defensive side of the ball, but that that goes into it as well. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And they, they're lacking. I mean, they have a great pass rush. There's no doubt about that. But the linebacking and the secondary leaves a lot to be desired. And in the AFC West, if you can't slow down opposing teams, you're going to be playing from behind quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they have the firepower to keep up with that, especially right. with an offensive line that's just – uh, you know, not that great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, then let's um, move over to the Chargers. Then uh, they finished second in the division at 10 and seven uh, notable losses. DeAndre Carter, I guess use air quotes there. Uh, <laughs> no, no real additions of note for, for this offseason. And in the draft, they took uh, Quinton Johnston Johnson, excuse me, in the first wide receiver. In the fourth, another wide receiver is uh, Darius Davis. And in the seventh, Max Duggan at QB. Um, so 
why, why don't you start us off here um, in your thoughts about these chargers? So and, and, go ahead. I'm sorry. To be no, 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 there. no. Go ahead. I, no, I, you know, the chargers, I will say, um, are the biggest fear for me in the, in the West. Uh, clearly on both sides of the ball, you know, you start with the, on, on the defense and they've got all the pieces to slow down uh, all the opposing offenses. But from a fantasy perspective, the good news is, is that they are going to be tasked with, you know, keeping pace. And that is going to Justin Herbert going on down the line. Every position they have has in my eyes um, uh, at least a top 12 at, at that spot, maybe top 15, top 20, mm-hmm. if we want to extend the wide receiver, except for tight end. And that's not a knock against Gerald Everett, but it's a knock against the fact that Gerald Everett just at tight end. I mean, it, I have to find some weakness if I'm going to do so. <laughs> I think offensively, they are as dangerous as anybody. The offensive mm-hmm. line has grown together. The left side is fantastic. Um, the right side could use a little work, but it starts with, it starts with Herbert. And, you know, and I know the first question that you want to ask me is, from Herbert having, you know, that that down season yeah. last year. Quote unquote, like people thought it was a down year. And yeah, it was compared to his, you know, first couple seasons in the league, but mm-hmm. he still had a fine season last year. Absolutely. His big the biggest knock against Herbert and the the Herbert owners from last year is that they can go back to about uh four games where he didn't throw a touchdown and another handful, five or six games Excuse me, where I only had one. And those mm-hmm. games are the things that stick in your mind. You don't remember the three touchdown, 350 yard performance, the 370 yard performance with, you know, just happened to be rushing touchdowns within the two yard line where he could have mm-hmm. had a 367 three game against Miami. All those games add up. The, the fact of the matter is, he was just a, you know, I mean, 200 yards short of a 5,000 yard season. And I mean, that's and people are disappointed in that. Of course, <laughs> you know, of course. Um, how do you see with Kellen Moore coming over from the Cowboys? How do you see him um, putting his stamp on this offense and maybe lifting Herbert up a little bit more? That's I think that's the best addition that they've made. You know, uh, I love Quentin Johnson. Don't get me wrong. But I think that Kellen Moore is going to bring uh, uh, a little more. Oh, what's the right word? I don't want to say balanced offense because that's not the case. I would say reliable, consistent offense. I think we've seen. I think that it pushes up all the receiver. It pushes up everybody on the offense. And it's hard to imagine. I don't think the yardage changes per se, but I think the work around the red zone and, and just the overall touchdown efficiency does improve. And we'll see. I mean, I think that Herbert is probably my QB five. Six on season, depending upon how much you value some of the rushing upside from some of the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. Jake? I only have about 30 seconds, I think, before they boot me back out. So let me say this very important thing. What's the one thing Kellen Moore brings to this team in a word? Balls. Great big balls that I think are uh, are needed and are going to be missing from Dallas. Uh, I think this is going to be an interesting scenario where people are going to be drafting uh, Justin Herbert much closer to his floor for mm. once, which we haven't had an opportunity to do as value drafters. Like we haven't been able to get Herbert as a value ever. So I'm hoping that, you know, if he's being drafted around Trevor Lawrence, zero disrespect to Trevor Lawrence, but I will take Justin Herbert every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. I think he is going to rebound. And I think that is a great uh, point, Jake, that there is a little bit of a discount, uh, especially in redraft. There's going to be that discount this year. Uh, and if you're able to snag him a little bit later uh, and still have that upside, I love that. All right, moving on. So, um, you know, Nate, as you said, you know, with Kellen Moore coming on board, it kind of raises all all fantasy assets here. Um, so let's do a little would you rather, who would you rather. Um, mm-hmm. At ADP, coming. this is current ADP, 
uh, going into redraft season here. Uh, would you rather have Keenan Allen, who is currently going as the wide receiver 17 or 33rd overall, or Mike Williams at wide receiver 26 and 46 overall? So you're looking at um, about a round and a half, little over a round difference um, in their draft. Mm-hmm. So who would who would you rather have and, and why? I say so both injury risks negate each other. So that's out since we both know that's a possibility. Hate talking about injuries, but it is what it is. The one I would say I'm going to take Keenan Allen more times than not, simply because if there's a case to be made that Quentin Johnson actually does come in and deliver first round value, it's going to be at the disposal most likely of Mike Williams. And I still think that Herbert to Allen will still get, they'll move the chains, all the intermediate. He'll be a PPR monster. And like, if this was a standard league and we were Neanderthals playing in this league back in, in 1945, then yeah, I'm taking Mike Williams all day because, you know, I, no, I'd have to mail the ballot to you. We wouldn't be doing this. We would be <laughs> send my pet, you know, messenger pigeon to Jake's house and, uh, it would, well, if it's based on the internet, it would probably die before it got there, slam into the window, <laughs> and we'd have dead pigeons. Uh, dead pigeon society, I'm sorry. This is uh, the thoughts and views of Nate Markham do not represent uh, the thoughts of either Dustin and or Jake. So Except for that last one. That last one does. That re- represents all. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, pigeons. We hate you all. Only carrier pigeons, not all pigeons. <laughs> I do think you're talking about the PPR portion of that with Keenan Allen. It's it's interesting to me that he is such a catch machine, obviously, and that's what he's been utilized as. He's he's our generation's Larry Fitzgerald, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it's it's like in full PPR, I think he's actually being for once drafted kind of where I think he should be. I speaking about value, I kind of missed the days last year. It felt like you could get Keenan Allen around a round and a half later than you can right now. So maybe the rest of everyone else is catching up or maybe they are putting the Kellen Moore effect on the receivers more than the quarterbacks, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement here with uh, Keenan Allen. I mean, part of me is like he's he's kind of the floor play. I mean, he'll probably end up with more fantasy points come the end of the season than than Mike Williams. But I mean, you're not I don't feel like you're going to get those those big boom games out of him where if you're looking for more of that ceiling play, I think Mike Williams is the way to go. So if you start like super wide receiver heavy in your draft and then take Mike Williams as like your third or fourth wide receiver as kind of that ceiling play that you can plug in good matchups, you think, you know, he's going to give you that 30 point week or 40 point week, then. Sure, but yeah, it's it's kind of how how you want to build your roster as far as uh, ceiling versus floor floor play week to week. Yeah, and that's a good point that I think a lot of people overlook is uh, roster development and how much risk you want to put into your your basket or how many floor plays because a collection of floor plays doesn't pay out and a collection of all ceiling plays is what we all say we want to do. And we all say it on the air and I, I don't play for floor plays. I play for ceiling. I play to win. And then what happens? I'll probably take Keenan Allen. He just, yeah. He's safe. I don't really, I don't know what I trust. Terry <laughs> McLaurin has Sam Howe. I'm not quite sure. I talk a big game, but I don't back it up sometimes. God, it's like you're peering directly into my soul, Nate. That's kind of rude, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I, I actually don't. I don't think Keenan Allen is just a floor floor play. I do think in this offense he can be productive. I'm not saying get double digit touchdowns, but I think he'll have higher ceilings than we've actually seen from him in the years past. I'm curious. Talking about ceiling plays, talking about PPR. What's the effect going to be on Austin Eckler here with this new offense? I don't know. That's that's the biggest question mark to me is what the impact is to Austin Eckler. Nate, do you think he'll maintain his sort of elite fantasy production in this new look offense? Isn't it crazy? So what last year, again, going back to last year this time, last year a lot of the talk was Austin Eckler himself saying, oh, yeah, I probably won't get a lot of red zone touches. I prob- They're going to want to get someone else involved. Not sure they want me handling the entire workload. And he finished his where, you know, basically the RB1. So we know that what he said, sometimes a good 
running back is just a good running back regardless. And I think that we will see some of the the targets reduce. I mean, I, I can't say that with definitive, but I don't see a hundred target or 127 targets replicated. If, if he's closer to the 90 target, like he was in 2021, or, you know, I don't expect it. I mean, that's pretty much his pace because 2020 he had, you know, in 10 games, 65 targets. So a 90 target floor is incredible. There's no mm-hmm. doubt. No one's going to ever scoff at that. And I think that's a pretty safe play. And let's be honest, the offense, I don't know what percentage increase they're going to see. But like we said with Herbert, his concern was his touchdown percentage. And that was lower. And we have to assume some of those will go Austin Eckler's direction in the passing game as well. I'm not concerned. I want to know if you two are concerned because I need to uh, pay attention so I don't draft him as much or I draft him more. What <laughs> will it be? Yeah, I am personally not concerned with Austin Eckler for this season uh, for redraft. Um, he's one of my top running backs, no doubt. Uh, Dynasty, he's obviously getting up there a little bit. Uh, Is this the last year on his contract with the Chargers? I believe so. So, I mean, if he's a free agent, you know, that worries me some. So I don't know long-term that I necessarily like it, but for this season, yeah, give me all the Eckler. Yeah, I'm going to be hard-pressed to find a running back being drafted around him that I don't have some concerns about, too. You know, I think everybody's giving grace to Bijan Robinson and just assuming that he's elite and he's fantastic and uh, take him nine times out of ten over Austin Eckler. Okay, I can see the argument for it, but I also see some general concerns about an Arthur Smith offense that is anointing this guy right away. And so every running back, I think, in his range outside of like your CMCs, He's going to have a little bit of risk baked into it. That's why you draft him early if you draft a running back early at all. So I think if you have concerns about Austin Eckler, it's not just about Austin Eckler. It's more about what your risk is in taking those guys in the early rounds. So for me, will I draft him? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but it's really going to depend if I can get him closer to, you know, the the early mid second than the late first. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one last thing real quick here. Um, with Gerald Everett, the tight end, um, we saw with Kellen Moore and his offenses in Dallas that they did focus on the tight ends a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, do we see Gerald Everett becoming more fantasy relevant this year? I mean, I'm not expecting him to jump into that you know top five tier, but could he be a low-end tight end one at the end of the season? Question mark. I think that you bringing up the uh, usage in Dallas was was pretty important because especially around the red zone, which is where we want to see the improvement. And they, they should spend plenty of times or spending of spend plenty of time. Those those words there. And last year, you know, Dalton Schultz and I'm not comparing Schultz to Gerald Everett, but tied in one to tied in one. However, you want to look at that. He was fifth in the NFL in red zone targets, only caught eight of them, eight of the 16. But if if he's wanting to design plays to go to the tight end in the red zone and Gerald Everett being a big body and that's an option. The thing is, they have so many big bodies. Mm-hmm. They have 13 feet of wide receivers between on the outside. I don't know how accurate that is. I've said that number really fast. And I was like, you're stupid, Nate. Why would you say 13? Then I'm like, holy shit, they're actually six foot. Just say so, it with confidence. Yeah, None exactly. of us would have batted an eye. I no, know. I, I was all on board with that. Damn it. <laughs> ah, stick with it, Nate. We're not live, right? Yeah, back this up. Yeah, redo. Take two. Take two. (laughs) So, yeah. I think it's interesting that you brought up Dalton Schultz in general because I do think Gerald Everett, we saw more out of Gerald Everett than we saw from Dalton Schultz before Dalton Schultz became a thing last year. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's wild at all to assume that Everett could have a better fantasy year than even Dalton Schultz did last year. I wouldn't be shocked by that. I'm not outright saying that he will. But as we've said on this show a thousand times, anybody outside of tight end five might as well be the same damn person. So I could see an argument for Gerald Everett being taken in that group of tight ends, at least. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I feel good about um, leaving that there for the Chargers. And as as we totally planned when we started our whole divisional breakdown series, 
we're saving the Super Bowl champions for the very last team that we're going to discuss this offseason. So let's head it over to the Chiefs. They were 14-3, and three, first in the division, first in Nate's heart, and first overall in the league as Super Bowl champions. All right, so in the offseason, they lost Miko Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Ronald Jones. They brought on board Richie James, and in the draft, they drafted wide receiver Rasheed Rice in the second round. So, Nate, the floor is yours to talk as much or as little as you'd like about your beloved Chiefs. The Chiefs are a fantasy enigma outside of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Outside of that, I am at an utter loss. I... I don't know exactly what to do. And I know that's exactly why you brought me on. You're thinking, hey, we could have brought anybody on to talk about the Chiefs. We bring this dipshit that says he has no clue. But anybody that says they have a clue is a liar. And I'm talking to you, whoever said that. If you're listening and watching, you're a liar because I don't have a clue. Because if you told me last year that Mahomes is going to throw for 5,000 plus yards and he was going to have one thousand yard receiver, I would have said that doesn't make sense. That's can't that that can't math. That can't. It, it doesn't jive. And I would have been wrong. And then I would have been the idiot. And people would have mocked me on your show. And they would have pointed me out. And I don't want that. I, I want to be beloved by all. So I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> if it comes to Kansas City as, from a fantasy perspective, there's a lot of things that could go right. There's a lot of concerns. The best part about it is everybody outside of Mahomes and Kelsey it's baked into their ADP that no one knows what's going to happen. No one is hyperinflated for an offense that should lead the NFL in a lot of different categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, I got to tell you, never worry about looking foolish when talking about the Kansas City Chiefs because you're talking to a couple of gentlemen here who said, eh, Travis Kelsey in 2022? That's who you're going to spend a first round pick on? You fools. We said, and we laughed about it, uh, and we looked so smart in retrospect mm-hmm. for talking about him that way. And this year, it's like almost as a safety blanket. You just go, Kelsey and nobody else. But to your point, like if, if somebody were to announce Justin Ross is going to lead this receiving core in mm-hmm. yards in 2023, I'd be like, okay, sure, because anybody can at this point. Is there anybody at least that gets you tingling with the wide receivers? Anybody who you're like, man, I don't know who it is, but maybe it's this dude. You said Justin Ross is the most exciting name for a person who, if he could get, um, thing is, I don't know what snaps here. So right now they're projected to keep seven wide receivers on their team. Maybe six plus one for a practice squad. That seventh person right now, is most likely Justin Ross. That sixth per the eighth person is Amir Smith uh Marset. Another amazing name you didn't put on the list of uh, recent recent I'm kidding by the way that's terrible. Um <laughs> all we know right now is that Sky Moore, MVS and Kadarius Tony are the starters as of today. If the KC media that follows all everything nobody has said anything more about Justin Ross. And I don't know if that's keeping it quiet, if that's by design, because we all see what we want is big body, amazing, hyper-athletic. Don't bring in DeAndre Hopkins. Let him be the new DeAndre Hopkins. Let him and Mahomes put up a 1,000-plus. But there hasn't been any traction yet, and that worries me that he's going to need a great, great training camp. So if you get your chances to get him now, super late, last round, take him. Because if in training camp he does put on that show that we all kind of want to see, his value will skyrocket. I want Kadarius Tony to stay healthy. If there was a crystal ball, Dustin, get your crystal ball out. Do the actions. I want you to do the actions too. I don't don't have. Well, you you can't see me doing the actions, but oh, um, oh, hey, no, hands up, almost. (laughs) Good lord! All right, so he's rubbing his crystal ball, and what you see, nobody should see. It is that Kadarius, if you knew how one person's information is, I want to know if Kadarius Tony plays 15 games. If Kadarius Tony plays 15 games, Ugh. I would 100% say that he would finish within the top 16 um, wide receiver this year. I think that would be my surefire. So if, if I could pick one, he gets me tingly 
But unfortunately, I think that's neuropathy, and he's going to yeah. end up with, uh, with you know, five games played. It's just it's it sucks. Yeah, I I mean, fifth. I mean, if you would have said maybe like thirteen, I, I might have been a little bit more, but like, yeah, I, I think, think that's doable. I I just I don't know though. I mean, like you said, it's he just hasn't shown it, and I you know hate to use the injury prone label on mm-hmm. on players. Um, I'm I'm hopeful. He, you know, with kind of a new setting in KC um, that hopefully they have better trainers and he can stay healthy. I just I'll believe it when I see it at this point. Um, But I think you're right, though. If he does stay healthy, I think he could be the steal of the draft. I mean, really this year, I mean, with just the amount of yards and points this offense is going to put up. Uh, and, And like you said, outside of Kelsey, they need to get someone else involved. Why not Tony? And if he's healthy, yeah, I think you're right. I think he could be the sneaky guy this year, and I really, really like that. The uh, the I brought a trivia question for you guys because I know that Ooh. that would be something. If you had to guess, number one, last year for the Chiefs, what was the highest snap percentage that any wide receiver played with 100% obviously being the highest, 0% being the lowest? Highest of anybody? If I had to guess of who it was, I'd say it's, Probably somebody like MVS, which is terrifying. And I'd say like 60. Okay. I'm going to yep. say, I'm going to say Juju um, in 83%. Both. I love both of those because that is telling because no team that is this proficient should have guesses that are below <clears throat> at least one game where a wide receiver had 90%. That's it's ridiculous. That's crazy. Um, the answer was actually higher. It was only in like two games that it was 88%. That person was Justin Watson. Oh, dear God. Oh, Juju was like 87%, But yeah, that is telling about this offense that at any given moment, there was only two. Yeah, only two weeks last year that two receivers played more than 80% of the snaps in the same given week. So they never line up two. So it's just this miscellaneous kind of hodgepodge. They're they're trying to find something to work, basically, is what it tells us. And they won a Super Bowl doing that. (laughs) So does that mean they're going to change from that? I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, unless someone really stands out and takes that step forward. Justin Ross. Maybe. Maybe. You know, or like you said, Tony stays healthy or... Yeah. MBS learns how to catch the ball on a consistent basis. I don't know. Out of all the things you said, <laughs> out of all the things that. anybody said on this show, <laughs> that's that. the most outlandish. That is I know. I'm out of here. I, I had to throw. <laughs> I had to throw one outlandish uh, scenario out there. As 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 guys that are you know intimately <laughs> familiar with MBS and his ball catching ability, sadly, sadly <laughs> are. So we don't know the wide receivers. We don't know what's happening there. Do we know? Do we even pretend to know what's happening with the running backs then? Do you assume? I mean, I think most folks assume if nobody else signs with them, it's Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, and they, they, yeah, and they got rid of the roadblock of uh, Ronald Jones. So don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But they still, I mean, I, where he's being drafted for a running back again, the same narrative on a team that should score. They were their offense was enough for the last uh, you know last half of the season to support two top twenty four running backs between him and McKinnon. The problem is is that I just don't trust Pacheco to stay on the field in passing down snaps. And I know somebody may say, "Well, what about against the Bengals? He had six six receptions that game. That's optimistic." Yeah, it's it's optimism, <laughs> but it's fake optimism that it's going to be Jarrett McKinnon. They brought back Ceh for a reason. It's because they do have a goal in mind, which is to just torment all of us that watched him get taken over Jonathan Taylor, uh, <laughs> name the wicked DeAndre. So we could go on and on and on and on, but I just don't see him being used in the passing game enough. I think he's a stable. If he's your, like right now, I mean, what is he going around? T- RB 25, something like that. I think I don't have it pulled up. So I'm just guessing at this point. It's, he is, yes, RB25, 86th overall. Oh, okay. I'm okay with him as my RB3 if that's where you would take him at. Or two, if you took super high upside, if you take, um, you got Bijan or CMC or any of the other names. I'm okay. I just worry that we're expecting total 
workhorse and we're not going to get it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I I don't see him being a workhorse. Um, as you said, they got McKinnon. They have CEH. Who I he's one of my sneaky guys that grabs super late that I think I'm going to be targeting this year. Mm-hmm. And it's just a feeling. I think he's going to get more play than than people are expecting this year. Yeah. And my approach with this team, because because they are an offense, as you said, Nate, this is an offense that should and probably will score a ton. Get a lot of yards in total. It's completely okay still for me to say, take your stabs at whoever you want out of this offense because of where they're being drafted. None of these guys outside of Mahomes and Kelsey are being drafted super high. So you can afford to take your stabs and say, it's going to be Tony. It's going to be... MVS, if you're a masochist, it's going to be Pacheco, it's going to be McKinnon, CEH, whoever, you can do that and feel comfortable with it. I'd rather do it for this offense than an offense like with the Giants, where it's a similar situation. Two guys, maybe, I guess, Daniel Jones and Darren Waller to a much lesser extent, and then a bunch of gaggle of whoever, and they're being drafted around the same area. Mm-hmm. I would much rather take this crew than that crew. I'm glad you said the Giants because one name that I have heard a ton of people talking about is Richie James with this offense and how excited the Chiefs are to have him that he could be the wide receiver three slash four at season start. So not to say pay attention to Richie James because I don't want the last thing people go said, well, did you hear Nate on with those guys? He said Richie James, move him up. Like I'm an ADP move or anything, but it is something worth noting. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And We're then one that out, by the way, and reconfigure yeah. it so it sounds exactly <laughs> oh, the, exactly chat GPT audio. Yeah, that's it. Uh, one last question here. Uh, enemy their offensive coordinator, left. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any concerns, you know, with maybe slight regression with this offense? Or is it really Andy Reid's offense and he's been the driver this entire time? Exactly. I, that's what I think. I think enemy is a very good um utilizer of the Andy Reid system. But if you remember, there was plenty of time when, um, and maybe this is a negative or a positive, depending upon how you flip this, there were some situations where they were upset. Tyreek Hill wasn't thrilled with the enemy because I think the enemy went to him and basically said, listen, you're not going to be the focal part of this offense. There is no focal part. It's going to be a uniform, well-run machine. You're going to have to deal with it. And I think that he wanted out as a result of that. And Matt Nagy could come in and, still facilitate the Andy Reid system, which means a more spread out offense. Scary for fantasy, great for Patrick Mahomes, um, still great mm-hmm. for Travis Kelsey. Yeah. yeah, I think we're all in agreement that those two are the ultimate safe plays here yeah. uh, for this team. So any last thoughts about your Chiefs here before we uh, wind down? No, I, tough schedule. I will say that it is a beater of a schedule it'll be a great great season and i uh i hope we can you know hope we can get back to the promised land again what's yeah. your win prediction for this team huh give us the juice what do you think oh 16? man 16 wins sounds uh <laughs> a little tough i would say maybe throughout the entire playoffs that would be an ideal so if that was the case i'd give them i'm gonna say 12 um 12 and 5 i think that's mm-hmm. eight yeah. You're the only person so, who can come on and say that about their team and make it seem humble. That 12 yeah. wins is no, humble for a I team. Know. That's you're like, oh, look that is just, Yeah, you like the way I did that? That's great. Twelve yeah, and twelve is would be an amazing season for the schedule they have, I think. Yeah, still first in the division. I mean, I haven't looked too closely at the schedules, but I'm assuming there's yeah. so much overlap within the divisions that uh the, there is, yeah. yeah. The AFC is just hard. The AFC is gonna yeah. be nasty come playoff time yeah. again. it's it always is yeah all right nate well before we sign off here um why don't you tell people what you do where they can find you anything you want to plug floor yeah. is yours um you can find my work at ihatepigeons.com. um that is a new site i just started uh <laughs> please send all your pigeon hate there i uh, it's a patreon so if you send me three dollars i will send you back uh Pictures of pigeons that I've flipped off and or <laughs> not murdered or anything. PETA, I'm not killing pigeons. Don't worry. It's just mostly um, it's not hate crimes either. What am I trying to say? It is uh, just anger towards. But yeah, so 
at Nate Markham on Twitter. Uh, all my work is uh, over at fantasyandframes.com where we have so much, so much, so much. I, I highly encourage anybody, especially if you're in Scott Fishbowl and you want, we have done 120, probably 130 mock drafts compiled Ooh. into ADP over the last three weeks, four weeks um, with excellent, uh, contributions. We don't have hardly any, any auto drafting. So we have live people the entire time. Very sharp people. Um, I would love to have another one and invite both of you guys to, to join us. Last weekend, we had a great one with, you know, Bob Harris and Mauricio and some other friends oh, that were nice. all there. And it was a, uh, it, it was definitely a challenge. Ryan McDowell came and gave away a Scott Fishbowl, um, invite just on a whim. Just one of the viewers oh, was talking. Awesome. It was, it was so much fun. I, I, Extend it out to you guys, my fellow pigeon hating friends. But yeah, please check out all the work over at Fantasy and Frames. That's much more important than at Nate Markham. Um, I mean, fellow both, but Fantasy and Frames is who they, those guys deserve all the credit in the world. Maybe some of the hardest workers I know. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a blast having you on here. Uh, welcome back anytime. Um, to get us out of here. Follow my uh, my friend that needs better internet here at Jake Trowbridge. Uh, you can find me at FF Dusty Dog. Follow the podcast at Drinking Fantasy. Uh, give us a rate, review, like us. Do all that stuff that I tell you to do every single week. Um, and on that note, we'll get out of here and we'll see you next week, folks. Cheers, Cheers. FFers. Oh, shit. Oh, shit.